Hey, this is Josh Garrels, and you've found the home for gourmet music. Like, like this is his magnum opus. It, it is beautiful from beginning to end. The instrumentals the, are, are captivating. The songs are like so life-giving. Josh Garrels proved with this album that you can make art that feels true to you and you can make art that feels real and complex and epic and you can put 18 tracks on an album and it's fine if you're gonna find your audience for me it's a special album because it, it it widened my perspective on what's out there and you know i would actually consider it as a top three album of the past decade it always makes me wonder why this album doesn't get more attention it was so groundbreaking. Hey there, welcome to the special edition of the Gourmet Music Podcast. I'm Dave Trout. Now, every artist wants to make a splash when they release an album, but not many artists can release such a significant work that ripple effects are being felt a decade later. On today's show, we are looking at the 10-year anniversary of Josh Garrel's 2011 album, Love and War and the Sea in Between. I've been doing this work of UTR Media, formerly known as Under the Radar, for 13 years. And of course, a lot of great music has been released in those 13 years, especially in the independent Christian music scene. It's just too much to count, really. But I cannot think of one single album that had such a seismic impact on the music landscape, or an album that generated more just groundswell buzz than the 2011 album Love and War and the Sea in Between by Josh Garrels. So on today's show, we want to unpack it a bit, think about its legacy. We're going to hear a lot of the music from that album, and we might even hear from Josh himself. Now, I'm not alone. I didn't want it to just be my opinion only. So we have an excellent roundtable of music experts to talk about the album. And let me introduce you to them now. Hey there, UTR listeners. This is Josh Baylog from JesusFreakHideout.com. I'm excited to be here to talk about a terrific album that is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year. Hi. My name is Christine Hoff, and I used to co-host an indie Christian music podcast called The Eclectic. We're based here in Western Australia, and after making the decision to shut up shop at the end of last year, I just do uh, a little bit of work as a musician, and also just enjoy a wide variety of music. I'm Jenny O'Kell. I worked in the CCM radio industry for about 15 years, and was a writer at Jesus Freak Hideout and CCM Magazine. Currently, I am a freelance writer and a spiritual director. Hey, my name is Matt Connor, and I am a freelance music uh, writer and editor for the last 20 years for places like uh, Relevance, CCM, The Rabbit Room, along with Under the Radar, um, another Under the Radar magazine, um, No Depression, Paste, etc. Hey there, I'm Mick Haupt. All I can say is music runs deep through my veins. I've been listening to CCM Music since 1985. 
when I became a Christian. Also, as a photographer, I have taken concert photos of uh, Switchfoot, Need to Breathe, David Crowder Band, 10th Avenue North, Toby Mac, Cutlass, and the White Owl Fest last summer. And including myself, that makes six of us sitting around the table um, to discuss this amazing album. Um, let's begin with where we all were at that time in 2011 when Josh's album released. I know that I um, I began UTR in late 2008, and then only a few months later, in maybe spring of 2009, I was introduced to Josh's music and really got into uh, his you know last couple of releases right before Love and War, and then um, so he was already on my radar. Then I saw a bunch of people buzzing about the release of the album, and I didn't listen to it like right away the first week it was released, but I just was amazed at all the chatter, and a lot of it had to do with Josh releasing the album for free, and for some reason that sort of lowered my expectations. And then when I heard it, oh my goodness, I was completely blown away from from day one the first listen um you can tell it was like nothing you had ever heard before not just from josh but from anybody in the christian indie music world it immediately raised the bar for everyone um so let me uh, pass it to you guys um where were you uh, when you first uh, heard love and war pretty sure my introduction to love and war and the sea in between was through the page you want at Noise Trade. I downloaded it for free. Sorry, Josh. And I don't think I even listened to it right away. Uh, but when I did give it a listen, I was hooked from the start. The first five tracks specifically contain such a great diversity and they lead you on a journey worth taking. So uh, though it's a long album, it's definitely one that's worth the time investment. So I actually didn't discover this album. My lovely wife, Nicole, had actually heard about it from her friend, Laura. And she came home one day and she said, Chris, you got to listen to this guy. She played me the track Floodwaters. I have to apologize to Nicole because my response was one of kind of indifference or I was a little bit too cool because I thought, you know, if I hadn't discovered um, this guy, he, he can't be that great, right? Because I'm across all good music. <laughs> um but my tune would soon change. I would say approximately 2009 through like 2013 were probably some of the most formative music years of my life. That was when I started discovering a lot of like the Christian indie folk scene and a lot of really unique stuff that was out there that I was just kind of missing, uh, especially working in CCM radio. I was always immersed in the latest Christian music and I kind of like was getting bored with it. My introduction to love and war and the sea in between was through the rabbit room, like just about every other artist I came to love during this time. I think one of the big selling points for me was that it was the whole free for a year on noise trade thing. I was discovering a lot of new artists through the indie noise trade scene. And I was like, oh, okay, lots of people are, I respect are raving about this album. I'm going to check it out. I didn't know who Josh Garrels was and it was free. So why not? I think my immediate impression was just, it was epic. I 
I don't know. Like, somewhere as the album progressed, I was like, oh, this is different. This is fantastic songwriting and really beautiful soundscapes. It's like, I, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm really liking this. Um, so I've, so conf- con- my confession here is that I've been friends with Josh, uh, for a long time since, uh, I mean, we took a trip to Israel together back in like 2005. We planted churches together out of the same network. I mean, we've just been connected in a lot of ways. So I'll just never forget when I first heard some of what was going to become love and war because it was just so different from anything else that he'd done. And to this point, I mean, like, you know, I, like I'd been a friend of Josh's, he had made such a transition. The early days were like all this hip hop and samples set to some acoustic. It was kind of that early Matt Carney vibe, but Josh was just different. But over time, the music became more cinematic. I think as Josh learned how to like, just make music better and like he wasn't just an amateur on the acoustic anymore and as he added like bells and whistles to his own sort of home studio and was growing into who he wanted to be as an artist I think his vision just got bigger I think his confidence grew and I just think this happens for certain artists at certain points when lightning strikes and this was a lightning strikes moment where just suddenly not only was this album filled like 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 the sheer level of content is just incredible but then the content inside it is just the best content he's ever made and that's for a guy who's made an incredible amount of substantial compelling music i remember being being deeply impressed with that right away the instrumental songs were intense and engaging in the way Josh almost raps. Some of his lyrics stood out big time to me, but the musicality of the album shone brightest for me. It constantly drew me in. Also, his voice, and you all know what I'm talking about, it's it's so unique, this enchanting falsetto with sometimes a, a tremolo to go with it, and his enunciation of words is captivating. Uh, There is no other voice like it that I know of. Of course, there'll be more talking than normal on today's show, but it is still a music show, so let's enjoy some of Josh's music. In fact, this is track number two from Love and War and the Sea in Between. Here's Floodwaters on the Gourmet Music Podcast. Higher than the
passing days There's a place moth and rust cannot lay waste This is grace, the face of love listening to the 10-year celebration of the Josh Garrels album, Love and War and the Sea in Between. Now, I'm going to say a few movies that are some of the most beloved movies of all time. The Wizard of Oz, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. How about It's a Wonderful Life? All of those were box office flops. It took a while to find their audience and eventually become culturally iconic artistic achievements. One great film example is The Shawshank Redemption. Even though it had critical acclaim, it failed to garner an audience in the box office and ended up losing almost $10 million under its budget. And yet, that film now ranks number one on IMDb's top 250 films of all time list. This was true of Love and War when Josh Garrels released it because a lot of people were not familiar with his previous work. They were being introduced to him and it took time for people to catch on. Even though there was an immediate buzz, it still took time for that audience to grow and for the significance of this album to reveal itself. Such is true when I looked back to see what our critics panel voted as the top albums of the year 2011. Now, first I had to see what I voted on, and uh, I did not have Love and War at number one for the year. Well, I did have it at number two, and I feel like I get a pass because my number one pick that year was Vice Versus by Switchfoot, and that's one of their band's career best albums. So in a way, that's kind of like tied for number one. So I feel like I was good on that front. But when we compiled all the critics' votes, Love and War actually landed at number three on our overall list of the best of that year which surprised me when I, when I look back. I feel like maybe that's one thing we got wrong looking back over the history, but I don't think we knew at that point, um, you know, at the end of 2011, that uh, this album would have such significance. And, uh, and I think it also shows that it took a little while for even our critics to sort of catch on to Josh's album and the music. Um, it does take a while sometimes to have that audience develop. And now, I think its significance is a little more palpable. In fact, when our critics panel got together in late 2019 to look over the last decade and discuss some of the best music released in the 2010s, 
Love and War was an easy selection uh, as we picked out the, the best 30 albums of the decade. And uh, you can actually read that whole list at our website, utrmedia.com slash decade. Okay, here's another question for our panel of guests. Um, as you were discovering this album, uh, what was the song that just stopped you in your tracks? Kind of the the wow moments when you were just first listening to the album. Yeah, the resistance is the song that jumps out to me. It jumped out to me immediately, uh, especially the instrumental bridges between the verses. There was such an intensity there. Uh, I loved it. The lyrics were straight up striking, in your face, spiritual, but also really culturally relevant uh, to what people wrestle with. When I heard The Resistance, I don't think I had ever heard like a hip hop folk song before. And this is just a thing that I I love about old school Josh Garrels and kind of miss. I mean, yeah, love is new music. But sometimes I kind of miss that like hip hop edgy thing. <laughs> but um and so I think it just, it sounds so cool at the time. It was like, I have never heard this before. This is amazing. Uh, like it's, I mean, it's just so hard not to say the resistance here because like, I remember when Josh unleashes that full, like prophetic edge, it's just crazy. And, and you know, like no one else can do it. It's, it's just wonderful. Yes, I totally remember being blown away by the resistance as well. This whole genre bending thing is a little bit normal now, but it wasn't back then. This was really trend-setting stuff. Let's listen to track five from Love and War and the Sea in Between by Josh Garrels. Here's the resistance. I was born into a system constructed for failure. It's a sinking ship being mined by drunken sailors. This gave bars behind the bars of the jailer. And it's modic attack and they withhold the in the midst of this crisis, please cancel the gala Without a symphony, there's no need for a prelude To foreshadow what's to come See, the secret committees commence with their meetings To make red tape in response to simple questions Questions threaten the perception of a beneficial system A pyramid scheme with its cogs and its pistons Mechanization of man, making more and more live in a miserable existence How can so few claim so many victims? And this begs the question my rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. Look at the long line of make-believe kings, and the Lord of the Flies wants you to kiss his ring. Follow new rules with invisible strings and become a puppet in a diabolical scheme. How do good men become a part of the regime? They don't believe in resistance. Let the flames rise higher And let every man be considered a liar If he 
that time always gives us a much better perspective on the artistic value of something and the weight it carries as it influences other art so what's i'm going to turn to the our panel of guests what are your opinions about this album now 10 years later is it worth this kind of attention and celebration um, I truly believe that this album and the noise trade model was really ahead of its time. And uh, and I view it as a pattern for the flood of indie musicians after him that would follow. Um, I think that this kind of showed other artists that uh, giving away your music for free to collect uh, zip codes and email addresses and or even the, the idea of kickstarting music was a way that you could do music without a label. But also, um, it was ahead of its time because it really came out uh, really before streaming was the main mode for listening to music. It really marked a shift in the music industry where I stopped listening to as much mainstream CCM and uh, started listening to more independent musicians because I became more aware of them as I was looking on Noise Trade and Jesus Freak Hideout's independent music section and uh, other websites that were kind of looking like UTR that were looking for kind of the diamonds in the rough or the ones that wouldn't be as well known. So I think it was very significant um, to me personally, but also to the industry, because I think it's kind of set a template for how things could be done. And really, we're seeing that it's needed now. Well, for me personally, it's a pretty significant album. This album really blew open the doors that led me to, go, I guess, see the expansive world that is independent, excellent Christian music. And, you know, I would actually consider it as a top three album of the past decade. And I really think that his approach, his music, um, 
has birthed a, a, a generation of musicians in the scene um, who are serious about their faith and serious about creating good Christian music. I think this album really helped push me a little bit further into recognizing good art that was being made and that we didn't know was happening, that was out of the purview of my work in CCM radio and the mainstream CCM industry. Um, it was a significant album for me as a person. It was huge. It was really formative. Yeah, this is a great question. There are a number of bands with excellent variety of instrumentation, but I think Josh's work in particular brings this seamless ensemble style to a new crescendo. This album bumped this style forward, but it has rarely been matched. Maybe by him, but even I think his more recent albums don't quite touch the masterpiece of this ensemble style. I think that's why this album resides on a shelf nearly by itself. It's so unique in so many ways. For for me, here's the thing about Love and War, because because it's built upon who Josh is. And Josh has always, always marched to the beat of his own drum. I mean, I remember I remember when he was like putting out his own early releases and and like like stamping cardboard by hand and putting out like CDRs, like that kind of self-releasing. And I remember like labels came calling then. I, mean, I think Goatee Records came calling. I think there was more than that. And for any other artist, they'd be like, yes, finally, my hard work has paid off. And he would go to these meetings and get wined and dine or go to Nashville. And I just remember he'd come home and go, yeah, I decided not to do that. It just wasn't the right fit. And I never understood that because I don't operate the way Josh does, where the internal compass for him has always been so strong as to what to do or not to do, like living with only sight and sound that he can hear and see. And so love and war is sort of like what Eugene Peterson would say, a long obedience in the same direction in terms of discipleship. Josh has that in terms of creative discipleship. And so an artist who already is so committed to his own path, like found his way deeper into something than I think he ever has before, or even since then. And the, I mean, his work since then has been great too, but there's just something that is so captivating and and abiding about love and war that I think it's I, th- I think it will forever stand as his best work. Wow, thank you panel for all those great thoughts. I totally concur that obviously we're doing this podcast because we do believe that it is worth celebrating and it is worth reflecting on the significance of this album by Josh Garrels. Uh, I want to add my two cents because I think, yes, of course, it has had a lot of personal significance for me and for a lot of our listeners. Um, But this album, I think, has some significance in terms of the industry that we might not reflect upon too often. So I just want to bring that perspective to it. One is uh, there's really kind of two things I want to point out. The first is that um, it really was sort of a game changer in terms of what independent Christian music could become. Uh, If you look at all the music that was released prior, the decade prior, from like 2000 to 2009, um, even the the sort of folky, acoustic-y kind of music, um, artists like Bebo Norman, Waterdeep, Andrew Peterson, Sarah Groves, Cademan's Call, those were all artists on record labels at the time. Um, 
that was all a part of the industry, so to speak. And so I worked in Christian radio at the time, and I know that there was this stigma against independent music. It was always a lesser than thing, or even the perceived quality was a step below. Um, but all this great new music was being made by people on iMacs and MacBooks as that technology was sort of developing that all throughout that decade. And uh, yet there there still wasn't that that special album that people could just immediately point to and say, listen to this and tell me this isn't better than anything you're hearing on the radio. Listen to this and tell me this isn't better than anything you have in your iTunes. And Love and War and the Scene Between did that. People could point to it. People could share it on social media and say, this is one of the best things I've ever heard. And guess what? It's completely independent. It's not on a record label. It it really sort of redefined what independent music is and could be like the quality of it was redefined by love and war and the scene between uh, it was sort of just that album that example that exhibit a that people could point to and i think that was such a needed thing at that time the second thing that i noticed happened um that was sort of an industry game changer was um that independent artists at the time um, so admired the work that Josh had done that they all sort of wanted to be him or be like him. Um, on Noise Trade and other other websites, um, you'd often have um, this band sounds like, and there'd be sort of maybe a list of three or four or five different artists. And Josh Garrell's name would come up time and time again. Everybody wanted to believe that they sounded as good as Josh Garrell's. Um, many people said, I'm going to release my album this way, or I'm going to do my tour this way. And sometimes I remember asking some independent artists, why, why are you doing that? And they, and they would say, well, it worked for Josh Garrels. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. Nobody else was Josh Garrels. Nobody could really sound like him. His music, his voice, everything was so unique. Um, and the way he went about creating and distributing music was unique but here's the thing this album in particular love and war in the sea in between became a north star for independent artists they maybe couldn't be be josh they necessarily couldn't sound like him but it was an inspiration point more than any other album i could point to in the last 25 years this album inspired so many future artists over the decade that would follow. Um, they would see what was possible, the quality level, the sound, the uh, just the distribution channels that could open up to independent artists. And I think that it just revolutionized the game for a lot of artists. It's sort of, and I think that many independent artists really sort of needed that North Star album to say, this worked. This was magical. I might not, I might only be able to capture an ounce of that magic, but if I can, that'll be enough to, to sustain my album. And so uh, it really became that North Star for for independent music for the for the next decade to follow. All right, let's check out some more music from Josh Garrels. This one was actually released a year later on the album Love and War B-Sides and Remixes. The song is called Run here on the Gourmet Music Podcast.
Okay, we cannot talk about love and war and the scene in between without talking about Josh Gerl's choosing to give away the album free for a year. Uh, now, at this, this time uh, in in music consumer world, digital downloads were basically the primary way that artists would sell records and uh, and would make money. Uh, it's the main way that Billboard and other charts would track album sales. Um, and so you did have artists giving away music on occasion, uh, sometimes just singles. Um, or in the case of noise trade at the time, uh, you'd have a lot of artists giving away samplers. So they would cherry pick a couple album, you know, a couple songs from their back catalog from a few different albums and make a little EP out of it and uh, let folks download a few different songs. Hopefully, whet their appetite so they go either buy the music or go see them in concert. Um, but very few artists, even at this time, 2011, were giving away full albums on Noise Trade or other platforms. Um, Josh Garrels decided to give away a brand new release, which was rare, on Noise Trade as well as his website, completely free. And then when people went to go listen to it, they realized the significant, amazing, artistic achievement this album was. And a lot of people's reaction was the same, which was, how could you give away this amazing work for free? Um, just because you weren't used to getting the the best stuff for free. It was back catalog stuff. It was, it was uh, you know, maybe like a demo album or something. This was obviously an artistic achievement, an 18-track album giving given away for free. So I turn to our panel of guests and ask you, do you think that the album's free-for-a-year campaign or promotion helped in making the album successful? Absolutely. No doubt about it. I don't think it could be argued otherwise. Um, as an independent musician, it got more ears to hear it than than would have otherwise. So I think it absolutely um, had a big impact on the album's success and even Gerald's success as an independent musician going forward. This is like not, yeah, here's a here's an EP. It was, it feels like a really significant gift. And I know that like I got into it because I was able to take a chance on it for free. It can introduce new people. Like, I'm still a Josh Garrels fan. I have a couple of his new albums on vinyl, and I've been to see him in concert, so I think this might have given him a bit of a boost. I had never heard of him until this, so I wonder if Free for a Year just created this, like, groundswell of buzz, and then we were all talking about it at the time. I'm sure the Free for a Year concept did not hurt in getting the album as much exposure as it could. It probably, for most people, was the first album they heard from Josh. And because of this album, it probably made lifelong fans of those people that heard it. Uh, You know, know, I do. I do. And a lot of times I think Josh comes off as like he just marches to the beat of his own drum completely and is like unaware totally of industry norms and this and that. But I think he's savvier than maybe what what people would give him credit for or maybe believe because I think he comes off as that way, like like sort of this hippie, aloof, devil-may-care attitude toward that stuff. But I mean, Josh, 
Josh kind of knew what he was doing when when he like refused to give away his data to like just Facebook or just Instagram. Like I mean, he you know he's always like trying to connect directly with people without a middleman. And that includes like labels at times, and that includes like social media at times, although he's used those kinds of things. So, you know, I think Josh was really ahead of the curve when it comes to um, some people may flinch at this, but, you know, knowing that the music is really kind of the what you give away today to create the relationship. And so I, I think that definitely helped Josh. You know, there's one other person we should probably ask about that free for a year campaign, and that's Josh Garrels himself. <laughs> yes, in fact, we had a chance to talk to Josh Garrels only about nine months after the release of Love and War and the Sea in Between. So it was in the middle of that free for a year campaign, and we asked him about, you know, just why he did that. So <laughs> we're going to play for you highlights from the interview that we did in spring of 2012, mostly about this album, Love and War and the Sea in Between, coming up on the second act of today's podcast um also we have a couple of other things to check out we mentioned love and war is on our list of the top albums of the decade Uh, our critics panel made a list that you can check out at utrmedia.org slash decade also um I'm, I'm kind of going on faith on this one because uh, I haven't posted it yet, but I'm going to go through our archives and try to find uh, a video, some video footage of, our, of uh, Josh performing a song from Love and War that we've never released before. Um, we uh, did a concert with him at a church. He also played in the UTR studios. So we have some footage that's never been seen by anyone. Uh, We're going to try to release that on our website if I can get my act together. Uh, You could check it out at utrmedia.org slash videos. Um, And we'll link to those things in our show notes as well. Uh, So stick around. We're going to continue the conversation and we're going to talk to Josh Garrels himself next on this special edition of the Gourmet Music Podcast. Hello, UTR family. This is singer-songwriter Ross King. Our mutual friend Dave Trout told me he gets lots of messages and notes from budding songwriters, and I asked him if I could share that I just released a brand new songwriting instruction course called Tools Not Rules. It's a deep dive into the systems and methods and tools that I use every day as a professional songwriter. It's primarily designed to help songwriters finish more songs and feel more confident and more comfortable assessing their own art and making it the best that it can be. And I really believe that it works. It's what I've been using for 25 plus years to write songs and to make a living. So if you'd like to try it out... You, the UTR podcast listener, can get a 25% discount and also give some money back to UTR so they can continue doing the great ministry and service and work that they do. Just go to rosskingmusic.com slash UTR25. That's rosskingmusic.com slash UTR25. All that information will be in the show notes of this podcast as well. And that offer will be available through the month of October. Listen, my honest and sincere desire is just that we'd all be better and more confident in creating great art that honors Jesus and that changes the world around us. If that's something that interests you and you want to trust me to help you do that, please check it out. Thanks so much.
We're celebrating 10 years of love and war in the sea in between on this special edition of the Gourmet Music Podcast, a production of UTR Media. Hi, I'm Dave Trout. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, And I'm not alone. No, we have a special roundtable of music experts that are helping to reflect on this groundbreaking album by Josh Garrels. And surprise, surprise, for this act two of the podcast, we are going to talk to Josh himself. In fact, um, we're going to take a look back into the archives because I had a conversation with Josh in spring of 2012, only nine months after the release of Love and War in the Sea in Between. And I think everybody knew at that time how significant this album was going to be. And uh, so we talked kind of in a fresh perspective on all questions like why was he giving it away for free and what was some of the themes and heart behind the album um his choices in distribution and um so we're gonna we're gonna just play some of the highlights from this interview from 2012 because i think it gives us a really good perspective on the inspiration of the album um now i i sat down with josh in the studio and we talked for we have timestamps on, the, on our interview sheet here. So I know that we talked for about an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> no joke. It was just a long, fun conversation. So I'm, I'm only going to, sh- I'm going to shrink it down to the stuff that's really focused on this album. Just kind of play the highlights of that interview. But let's time warp, warp back to the UTR studios in 2012. And we begin the conversation with Josh Garrels by asking him a question that was on everybody's mind at the time. Why, Josh, are you not on a record label? The simplest answer would be that I've never felt as if I was supposed to or that it would actually help me go where I need to go. Now, granted, I... I'm always cautious to not just like bad mouth the industry or bad mouth the record label. I just don't think that that path is the right one for every person. You know, there are specific things that labels have to offer. Um, but once again, I don't think that that's for everyone. You know, I've always had it. It's it's almost just an intuitive, instinctual sense of how I want to go about making music. Um, the freedom of even like artistic parameters that I want to preserve. And there is a sense when you're talking to an industry, a quote-unquote industry, that most industries have to have, you know, what you call industry standards. Which, when those are exercised in a healthy manner can equal sort of a quality control Mm -hmm. um, so that they're putting out like music that is a certain par, a certain quality. And so people will trust industries because they know that they have standards. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes those standards over years and generations, I think, can become so limited and so inhibiting that if you don't function within those parameters or those standards, um, either you have no place there or you have to change what you're doing to fit it. And I've always had a sense there's some element of what I'm doing that doesn't totally fit into what I've seen as um, that sort of industry standard, you know. So it's it's been a concerted decision on my part over the years to continue to sort of craft this music guerrilla style um, mm-hmm. out of out of bedrooms and selling CDs out of trunks and booking my own shows. And um, there's another whole side of this, which is the advent of 
this just technological explosion of the mm-hmm. internet and the fact that we can afford to record ourselves mm-hmm. and mix our stuff and produce our own records and get those records on iTunes and host our own websites. And so I haven't needed what traditionally would be the role of mm-hmm. an industry mm-hmm. because in many ways those uh, that power has been put in the hands of the artist now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm one who kind of excitedly accepts that that control, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, over kind of navigating my own ship. Um, but I don't think everyone's made to do that. Not everyone wants to multitask in that manner. But for me, I don't even necessarily enjoy multitasking, but I, once again, I, I do it to preserve preserve the, the parameters of what I think I want to do, you know, where yeah. I think I'm headed. So That's good. Um, what's the overarching theme for uh, – Love and war in the scene between. The overarching theme mm-hmm. of love and war. Um, I mean, one, it's it's sort of written into the title, you know, mm-hmm. um, that those are sort of the three main themes of the work and those intertwine in, in various ways throughout the songs on the album, that of like love and relationship, both the victory of love, but also the tragedy of betrayal and denial of love and refusal to um, engage in a loving manner with person to person and person to God, you know, because those things are intertwined with one another. And then there's out of war, which um, once again, sort of a dualistic nature that we're in a world where there's wars and rumors of wars. There's a history of wars and there are principles and themes that emerge when you look at how wars happen. How do evil dictatorships happen with the likes of Hitler and Stalin, you know? And even controlling sort of like New Age governments, you know, how what are some principles we see at work? Mm-hmm. But then the dualistic nature being, I know and I believe that there is a spiritual element to everything that's happening, you know? There is an unseen battle over the hearts and souls of mankind. And interestingly, a lot of the same principles that you look at, the wars and rumors of wars and the conflict, those can be applied into the spiritual domain as well. So even the songs dealing with war are sort of in the flesh, but also in the spirit, you know. And then the sea in between being the symbol of this vast expanse, powerful, majestic sea, you Mm -hmm. know, that can claim your life and has many uh, potential dangers, but it's also this beautiful, captivating thing. We love, like, we pay millions of dollars to buy a house that's on the sea so we can look at it because it inspires something in us. So you can't see the other side, you know? Um, and so the sea goes on to symbolize a whole lot of things, mm-hmm. you know, a whole lot of things, the, an expanse that separates. Um, but also there's, an, there's another side out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's another shore somewhere over there, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so all the stories um, that go along with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So. That's good. Good. All right. So why did you uh, choose to give away that album free for a year? Mm-hmm. I always feel the need to say it like it wasn't my idea and I didn't like the idea. Um you know, in the past, you know what, like 2006 or something, Radiohead gave out In Rainbows, and it was this, like, really effective promotional stunt. And, uh, 
You know, I remember at the time I was about to release Over Oceans 2006 and I was like, told my wife, I was like, babe, maybe we should like consider just giving this away, hmm. you know? And she was like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't think that's a good idea, Josh. And at the time it very much was like, it would have been sort of a promotional stunt. Like, right. you know, I heard uh, Radiohead or Derek Webb, like they gave away their album and now more people are coming to their shows and they're selling more albums. You know, at the time it was like my cogs figuring out how do we make this work. Right, you know? right. But we've since gone on to like have a career that's sustainable, you know, and has this sort of slow but steady growth through word of mouth and creating new work. And Love and War being this album is like 18 songs, took almost a year and a half, huge amounts of collaboration. And and in some ways, it would be the last album that I was like, let's give this away, yeah. you know. Um, but it was in the final stages of the album. I lost my voice for four months, hmm. created the entire album around scratch vocal tracks, reached the point of like crisis, only had a few weeks of recording left, um, and had to do you know, the Christian thing, which is like fast and pray and ask God what's happening. You mm. know, is my voice going to come back? Because four mm. months is a long time, yeah. you know? Um, and I felt like he drew close to me in that time um, in a very real way, more real than he had for some time. And uh, his challenge was, he said like, give me the glory. And I knew immediately it meant more than just like some prayer of like, mm-hmm. Lord, you have the glory. Mm-hmm. And then we go on and live our life. I knew it was like, give me this. Mm. Not only give me this, give me ev- like, give me all the income from this. Let go. Let go of this. Finish it and let go of it. Because mm. and immediately all, all, the, all your motives your motives for creating something are like brought to the surface. Yeah. Is, wow. Like be it right or wrong. You're like thinking if this sells well, maybe I can get my wife and kids a house and actually build the music studio I want to build. And all those things start to attach themselves to the work and the Lord essentially saying, let go, let go of all that. Let go. You say you're doing this for me, but are you, mm. if I say, give it to me because it's mine, will you give it to me? And so I had to sit there when he asked me that for 20 minutes in silence because my relationship with him is such that, <laughs> that he can be stern with me. And he was waiting for me to answer out loud. And so I had to sit there for 20 minutes and like weigh the consequences of that decision with a wife and two kids, mm. you know. And, you know, I said, all right, all right, it's yours. Take it. And um, interestingly, he immediately sort of like sort of gave me like <laughs> – it sounds silly, but like just sort of a a hug in the spirit and said, like, hmm. well done. And then he like laid out perimeters. He said, one year, you give it away. Don't accept a thing, you know. Any money that comes in from this, you either use to give more albums away or you give that money away. Hmm. And so we call it this year of Jubilee where we like wow. just let go of this thing um, and anything that comes in from it, you know. Yet at the same time, I have to say, like, I wasn't into the idea, but it's been hugely fruitful. Mm. and exciting Mm. and has purified our motives with music but also has sort of expanded the listening base of this music at this point 12 fold Mm. which is pretty insane you know so we have we've like received much due to letting go which is the strange dynamic of like (laughs) you know like you have to die to live all that stuff it's like I didn't want to I said okay, and then it's like way better than it probably would have been. Yeah. So it just it 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 seems like the almost like the seek ye first principle. Yeah. You know, just 
putting the kingdom first and totally. all these things will be added unto you. <laughs> totally. To finish the story, I always forget this part. Yeah. He, he said, then he's like, what do you need to finish it? I said, well, I need my voice <laughs> and I need 10 grand. And that week my voice came back, recorded all the vocals in a week and a half and complete stranger wired five grand into my account that next week. And then the rest of the money to finish it came in shortly thereafter. It was like this immediate answer, which was... That doesn't always happen. I mean, my life's not that, like, spiritually charged all the time. But it was one of these moments where, like, bam, 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 stuff happened, you know. That's amazing. It It was wild. (laughs) Was there there one song on Love and War that that the finished product even kind of took you by surprise of once, once you got it all mastered and recorded, you were just like, it just turned out to be something, um, you know, even to you, just like, wow, it turned out, you know, beyond my expectations. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the first was the first song on the album, White Owl, like just the collaboration. That song, the only part that I recorded was the classical guitar and the main vocals. And then I just sent the tracks out to this group, Mason Jar, in Brooklyn. And they, like, recorded this symphony around it. Wow. And so then, like, mixing this work that creatively was way different than if I had to dream up my own accompaniment parts and stuff. What I would have done would have been very different just because we're bent certain ways. You know, we Mm -hmm. have certain tracks that are familiar. And just what they did with that song, to me, was, like, so beautiful.
I felt like this song I'd written, just me and a classical guitar, was so, like, honored, you know, um, and even made way better than anything I could have done, you know. Uh, what are some hopes that you just personally have for um, – it could be the industry or maybe even just independent music um, in the years ahead. Yeah. I've thought on this and some of this. So what I'd like to see happen, I'm, some of this I'm just pointing to myself, but I think it's it's much larger than just what I'm doing for sure. Is I do see a, a sort of new breed of musicians coming out. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to put words to actually, but I sense there is something is changing right now. Mm. You know, yeah, it's been coming for a while, but I believe like the, the avalanche is beginning. You know, I, I see some even this age of like Kickstarter and the fact that Love and War. Um, I sent out an email to a fan base of roughly eight nine thousand people, and invited them to help invest in this work to make it possible. You know, and roughly a group of 400 people responded to that. And over the span of nine months, $35,000 came in to make this album, which was way more of a budget than I would have been able to have on my own. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, I'd gone in debt 10 to 15 grand making an album. Mm. Gone into debt, and then you got to sell it to make that money back. You know, and this, my creative parameters were twice the size, if not more. You know, two to three times the size, which allowed me to create a much more expansive work yeah like all of a sudden i got to really see my vision through and not skimp you know but that allowed me to give it away for free Mm because i had no debt to fill in yeah you know so that it really turned everything on end traditionally you go deeply into debt to a label or personal credit to finish a work and then you're forced to sell it and tour until you might even be touring at an unhealthy rate in order to just pay stuff back yeah. and be okay, you know. But I see this new model almost what I'm calling like a new renaissance. If you look at the renaissance, the church and royalty, they were commissioning work. Mm-hmm. They were saying, okay, Michelangelo, okay, Da Vinci, like we, you create great work. We want to fund you to make this sculpture or to paint this chapel or to, you know, do this or that piece of music or art. And it was commissioned. So they were mm-hmm. seen as like, okay, like we believe in you. And often like in the, in the church's place in the Renaissance, it was f- to, for beautification and for the, like the public good. It was so that when people came in, they could look up at the stained glass and if they were illiterate, they could chart the story of the gospel, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I see like where we're at now with this age of Kickstarter and what I experienced with Love and War, which is brand new for me. I'd never invited people to do that. But now I think it's a way that I want to continue, which is if there's people that believe in what you're doing as an artist, like they can literally commission something on the front end. Like we would like to see you create more work. We believe in what you're capable of Mm -hmm. and we're going to like invest in that, you know, and then the work is created but then I think that there needs to be a reciprocal nature. I think for the artist just to continually be receiving and then to turn around and then sell that as a product sort of is a uh, chink in the armor or a break in the chain. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be reciprocal in that if there is a Kickstarter thing happening or in my case, if there is a sum of money that's coming to create this work, it needs to be for the public good. Like more and more I'm, using, I'm viewing music as a service rather than a product. 
hmm. you know it's because when you take away the 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 price tag it's not a product necessarily you can start viewing it as a service to people so that even as i was creating love and war i knew wow like this is being funded by people and all of a sudden i was like this needs to be a service and i want to sing songs that i think the public needs to hear rather than what people want to hear so that i can sell records because i don't need to sell records because the record's already paid for mm-hmm. so it changes the motives even in the midst of creating the work mm-hmm. and so in that sense i think we could be entering sort of this age of almost a new renaissance where like if they're artists people believe in and they're commissioning work on the front end, it's actually freeing the artists up and maybe purifying their motives to create the work that needs to be made rather than what they think people want to hear, which the industry being looked at in a very grotesque manner tries to pump out one-hit wonders yeah. and hit songs that they can just sell a lot. And yeah. so if you're in an industry where they just want to sell a lot, they're pushing you to create a hit, you know what I mean, which is make it sexy, make it appealing so we can sell a lot. And that's product. That's capitalism, you know, where art, like moving, inspiring art should, I think, be a service and for the public good. And it should be leading people to what they need to see and hear and touch rather than what you think they want to so you, you can sell it to them. Yeah. So that that's where I think the future is going. I see it happening right now, you know. And I see it happening in some ways outside of these traditional industries because it's it actually turns the industry model upside down. Mm-hmm. I've had managers talk to me this year who like are interested in managing me and I actually need help. But then when I describe how I'm doing things, like, yeah, I think I'm going to continue sort of like involving my listener base in the creation of the work. And then I'm going to give away the work on the back end. They're like, wow, that's awesome. I don't know how we'd make any money with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then the conversation sort of ends, you know. But that's okay. You yeah, know? it just shows that there's a little bit of a disconnect. There's a there's an old way of doing things. Yeah. Once again, that isn't necessarily wrong. But I've sort of chosen to do it this other way, along with a lot of other people that are choosing to do it this other way. If music is connecting with people on that deeper level, then they will become patrons. They will become the. They'll become supporters and not just consumers. Yep. And so in a way, I think it challenges, especially indie artists, to write music um, to, to almost like stop pursuing the popular, uh, the kind of like, you know, get that hit on Grey's Anatomy or the kind of the popularity s- scheme and and maybe even narrow their focus to say if 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 this song connects deeply with a smaller number of people like those are the people that could make a difference in my career yeah you know yeah so, so it's it is interesting yeah i will say like this this year is brand new for me to have sort of like what is becoming a larger listening base that for many years i've been just sort of in obscurity making these albums with really tight parameters with a very loyal fan base. Yeah. That's been the last eight years of my life, you know? Um, But yeah, like people, if they do connect, deeply connecting, you know, Mm -hmm. that then, then they've become this force that is actually, they're the ones like love and war is attributed to that fan base Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who really made it possible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. The fact that we've walked together and they said, we believe you've shown us that, you continue to make work that we're connecting with here. We, we're, we're trusting you. It was an act of trust on their part. 
I mean, some people mm-hmm. sent five bucks, some people sent 10 bucks, some people sent 5,000 bucks, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we trust that we haven't even heard it yet. And we're going to trust that you will make something that we connect with, you know? Yeah. And that's an act of trust on their part. That's very non-consumeristic. Yeah. Usually you yeah. got to, you got to, you got to do a hard sell. Right. You got to prove to them like buy the Chopomatic and you will, <laughs> like, you will be insured all of these things and your right. life will be better in every way, you know? When like for someone to sort of invest on the front end, yeah. I was trusting on my yeah. listener basis part, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like so grateful yeah. to them, you know. Yeah, and so it felt appropriate then for us, now in hindsight, to like to release it with an act of trust of like, yeah. okay, we're gonna like let go of this thing and let it go where it needs to go, um, without demanding anything in return. Yeah. You know? Oh, wow, that brings back a lot of memories. Oh, so fun to revisit that interview we did with Josh Garrels in spring 2012, not long after the release of Love and War and the Sea in Between. Really hope that gives you a deeper understanding of the inspiration, the motivation, the, the work ethic that went into Love and War. And uh, well, a lot of fun revisiting that. And, and if you um, maybe are revisiting UTR for the first time in a while because of this podcast interview... Um, there's a lot of things you can check out at our website, which is utrmedia.org. But one thing that I, uh, if I could point you to just one thing, it would be to sign up for Song RX. It's our uh, weekday email we send out every morning, which is a song of the day with a spiritual reflection, either written by me or an independent artist. And um, we have featured Josh Carroll's songs. I feel like it's sort of in the spirit of Josh Carroll's because we just decided... We wanted to reconnect with our email audience in a deeper way. So I think it's one of the best things we're doing right now. And I hope you'll check out Song RX. There's a free sign up at our website, utrmedia.org. All right, next, we are going to invite the panel of music expert guests back to the podcast. I have a couple more questions about reflecting now, 10 years later, on the work Love and War in the Sea in Between coming up next let's face it it's hard to look cool when your minivan speakers are cranking andrew peterson or the latest episode of the rise and fall of mars hill so the least we can do is help you look like a baller while you jam to your melancholy folk songs that's why utr's latest contest is for a kicking pair of beat solo three wireless headphones beat solo three wireless headphones you can win the headphones for free and make your neighbors think you're listening to Tupac Shakur while you're mowing your lawn, while in reality, it's tunes by Sarah Groves. Enter UTR's contest for Beat Solo 3 headphones for free at utrmedia.org. Again, that's utrmedia.org. This podcast is sponsored by the latest album from singer-songwriter Ross King. Unfinished by Ross King is 11 original songs full of vulnerability and spiritual encouragement. You can find Unfinished by Ross King on Spotify and all major music platforms. 
It's time to welcome back our roundtable of guests as we continue to look at Love and War and the Sea in Between, now reflecting on the album 10 Years Later. And my question for the panel is, are there any songs in the album that still resonate with you, that, that are sort of go-back-to songs uh, that, that connect with you now a decade after the fact? Farther along... But for me, that's where the album just really starts to show that there's something special. I think Farther Along is just joyful. The songwriting paints this beautiful picture of future hope. It's beautiful. It goes on for like five minutes, and I love it. And it's still my favorite track on the album. The clear-cut favorite for me is Farther Along. I always come back to Farther Along most because it's got the lyrics the vocal runs, hip-hop inflections, and the longing for the things of the kingdom. It just hits the sweet spot for what I'm listening for in music. Farther along I know all about it Farther Understand why So cheer up my brothers Live in the sunshine We'll understand this All by and by Tempted and tried I wonder why the good man dies Bad man thrives and Christ, cause he loves them both. We're all castaways in need of rope, hanging on by the last threads of our hope. In a house, a mirror full of smoke, confusing illusions I've seen. But where did I go wrong? I sang along to every chorus of the song that the devil wrote like a piper at the gate, leading my some men down to their fate. Some will courageously escape the seductive voice with the heart. So much more to life than we've been told is full of beauty that will unfold and shine like you struck gold my wayward son. The dead weight burden weighs a ton. I'll go down to the river and let it run. Wash away all the things you've done. Forgiveness, alright. Father.
compromise Like truth in the pack of lies Fighting for my soul I got no place left to go Cause I got changed by what I've been shown There's more glory than the world has known It keeps me rambling on And skipping like a cave Loops from his stall I'm free to love once and for all And even when I fall I get back up through the joy That overflows my cup Heaven filled me with more And the others fuss Cause every knee must bow and tongue confess The son of God, he's forever blessed His is the kingdom and we're the guests So put your voice up to the test Sing, Lord, come soon Oh, yeah Farther along the way No, I'll look back out Farther We're going to close out with the show with one final question for our guests. And I want to hear from each of you. And that is now 10 years later, what do you think is the legacy of love and war and the scene in between? I think it's a masterpiece. Um, it's one of the few albums over an hour long that I think is worth a listen every single time. It, uh, it's just got everything that you could want. I mean, I think it's Josh Garrell's magnum opus. And I think the legacy of the album overall is that, again, I think I mentioned it earlier, it kind of showed other independent musicians that they could do this, that they could self-produce, that they could make the music on their own, that they could find a niche market for what they were doing of fans that would help them make the records and that would house them for house shows and continue to buy merch uh, for them to be able to do this as a career. But overall, I think it's a great album. I think it's worthy of all the accolades that are thrown at it, and I think we'll still be talking about it 10, 20, 30 years from now as well. If Josh Gerrells were to release it today, I think it would it would, it would would be current. It would be great. It, it wouldn't sound dated or of the era. Um, I think even if he released it, this this album today in 2021, I think it would hold up as a great album. I think the legacy of this album is I think it's probably inspired and uh, encouraged a lot of people to create original, authentic art from a Christian perspective and, and to not feel the need to just imitate or be derivative and or see what's popular in, in mainstream secular music and try and imitate that. You know, Josh Garrels has... Um, created a, a fantastic album, but also with a strong work ethic. He's invested a lot. He's worked hard. And I think the legacy of Love and War and the Sea in Between is as much an inspiration for 
you know, discipline, a solid work ethic, um, as it as it is an inspiration to create truly original, excellent Christian music. I think this album's legacy is proving that depth of lyricism and unique sounds and quirky production, or even just things like, you know, let's blend folk and hip hop. Those things can work. The CCM music industry, and God bless, I'm grateful for all the work I did over the past decade plus in radio and all that. But, you know, you can get kind of stuck where you're like creating stuff for the masses. And I think that... Josh Gerrels proved with this album that you can you can just make art that feels true to you and you can make art that feels real and complex and epic and you can put 18 tracks on an album and it's fine. It, you're going to find your audience. So I think that Josh helped connect people who were maybe feeling a little on the outside with here are some songs that reflect your faith and say something true and beautiful in a way that you haven't heard before. I listened to Love and War a lot when it came out, and I've gone through seasons of it since. It's a long album, and sometimes I'm not always in the mood for the whole thing, but every time I come back to it, everything surprises me about it again. Each time I come back, the genius of everything I've said before, it's musicality, the lyric gems, it always makes me wonder why this album doesn't get more attention. It was so groundbreaking. And, and maybe that's, that is its legacy, how groundbreaking it is, how it combines many of these disparate musical styles into this perfect jambalaya that you can't forget, that never lets you go. I know I will keep coming back to it as long as I live because it is that perfect seasoning and spice and flavors that always keep me coming back and wanting more. In, in, in today's like church or modern era, we love to talk about like, Oh, all the great arts, all the great literature, all the great painters, you know, once came out of the church And then we love to like talk about dreaming like that again. Like, wouldn't it be great if Christians could once again, you know, like support the arts and create meaningful art and all this kind of stuff. Like we love to talk about that, but we also know, you know, honestly that most things that are termed Christian uh, is derivative in some way that it's like a marketplace adjective just to add to something that's safe or positive or whatever. But I think Josh is one of those artists that's actually like living out this thing that we love to talk about. Like, oh, wouldn't it be great if like Christians could rise up and like be these like leading artists? And Josh is. Josh has been. Josh will be um, because he's always like allowed the spirit to completely inform his process. He doesn't care if he's supposed to like release something every now and then. He doesn't care what he's supposed to do on social media. He doesn't care that you're supposed to have a label to do this or that. He doesn't care that you're not supposed to give the music away. And he didn't care that Love and War was way too bloated of an album. And so like when you have someone like that, then creating their masterwork, like like this is his magnum opus. It it is beautiful from beginning to end. The instrumentals the are are captivating. The songs are like so life-giving um, or challenging. 
And I just think because of that reason, I just can't believe that this album won't continue to be an important album for a good number of people for a long time. Yes, totally agree. All great thoughts on the legacy of Love and War and the Sea in between. And I'll just add that I think that it is the game changer album of our generation when it comes to independent faith-based music. Um, We just didn't see anything quite like it, quite at its caliber. Um, And I think it still is maybe the best representation of independent Christian music. Like if I'm to point someone to, if someone's like, I'm new to this genre, what's out there? What's the best I could listen to? I still might point to Love and War as the best thing you could listen to from the last 21 years. Now there's a lot of great music that's been released, but it still stands as maybe the best representation of what independent Christian music can and should be. And I think it still is going to be inspiring people for years and years to come. And with that, it's time to wrap up this special edition of the Gourmet Music Podcast. Uh, But first, we want to issue a few thank yous, say our goodbyes. And then after that, uh, stick around because we are going to be featuring, um, I think it's a never before heard audio track. Um, the, The day that Josh Garrels came in to do the interview that you heard earlier in the show, He also did a mini concert in our studios that we recorded. Um, We just released a never-before-seen video of the song Beyond the Blue of him performing live in our studios. We just released that on YouTube. You can find the link in today's show notes. Uh, And we're going to release um, the audio um, of the song Ulysses from that album Love and War um, right after uh, we have the outro to today's podcast. So stick around for that. First of all, thank you for tuning in. I hope it was a fun journey. <laughs> I hope it was as fun as it was for us to put together. This was a blast. Um, and uh, a big thank you to our roundtable of guests who um, contributed all throughout the show. Thank you to Josh Baylog, Chris Steenhoff, Jen Yokel, Mick Haupt, and uh, Matt Connor. Thank you guys for uh, all your thoughts on an amazing album. And of course, thank you to Josh Garrels, not only for being a special interview guest as we uh, replayed some of our interview with him, but also just for creating great art and inspiring so many people. You know, we can relate to Josh in a couple of ways because um, in the creation of his work, he really relied on a couple of things, one being generosity. And we could not be doing this podcast without the, the amazing generosity of our UTR support team. We have a core group of people who really help um, help us allow uh, allow us to keep doing the work that we do with podcasts, playlists, videos, interviews, articles, live events. And uh, we actually would love to have a, a few more people on that team to help support the work. If that's you, if that's if you want to kind of get off the sidelines and be a participant, we would love for you to check out our support information at our website, utrmedia.org. And the second thing he relied heavily upon is word of mouth. They called it, you know, guerrilla art. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of what we do as well. Um, we, we keep producing these shows and podcasts and different things, and we really count on uh, you not only enjoying it, but spreading the word. So if you don't mind, if you enjoy today's show, do us a quick favor and take a screenshot of 
the podcast page that you're listening to and post that to your Insta stories or Facebook stories this week and tag at UTR Media. And you might as well tag at Josh Garrels as well. Our next episode of the Gourmet Music Podcast will be coming out in a few weeks and um, it's going to feature stories behind the song. So you get to know a little bit more about the inspiration behind certain songs. Um, So uh, we're looking forward to that. Until then, I'm Dave Trout. Thank you so much for hanging out here. The Gourmet Music Podcast is a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported, nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and online at utrmedia.org. Hey, stick around. That live, unreleased song from Josh Garrels is coming up next. This one's called Ulysses. I live in Portland, Oregon now, and uh, born and raised in Michigan, Indiana, um, landlocked Midwesterner. So to be close to the like epic Northwest coast is pretty special. So a lot of the writing of this last album I did um, in little B&Bs and cottages on the coast. Um, if you're not familiar with the Oregon coast, just watch Goonies and you'll know what it's all about. <laughs> Call my name
they say they leads my pain and break me on the stones but true love is the burden that will carry me back home carry me with the memories of the beauty I have known I'm Ah. Uh -huh.